gather in your presence. And we do pray for this fire conference coming up in November. Uh, we thank you for uh, uh, Christ for all nations. We thank you for literally the millions and millions of people who have come to faith in Jesus uh, through that ministry. And I, I do pray for this event coming up on the 20th. Uh, we, we lay that before you, and I pray that there would be many people healed and many people saved, uh, that many people would come out for that event, and it would be really, really amazing there. And let your anointing rest on Peter uh, for that. We also pray, Lord, for uh, the 7th of May, which is the next time that we have a combined service with St. Sepulchre's here at City Temple. I pray, Father God, for your anointing to rest upon that service for David as he's preparing to preach for us, uh, for our worship team as we choose music uh, for that time. <coughs> we lift it up to you, Father, and we thank you. Uh, Father, I want to be a little selfish today and ask uh, for Karen and me uh, that you bring healing to us. We've just dealt with so many personal niggling issues and things with the guitar and the, the sound system and all that. It's, it's strange stuff, and it feels a bit like witchcraft. And so we stand against it together in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we always trust that in your ability to bless us more than the enemy's ability to curse us. And we stand in the authority that we have in Jesus Christ, and we command all these attacks against us and against City Temple to stop in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Satan, you cannot have your way in us because we belong to Jesus, and the evil one cannot touch us. Uh, and we thank you, Father, for that truth. By you. And we just take authority over that right now in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ and command it to stop. We command it to stop in Jesus' name. Every kind of demonic manifestation, every kind of demonic attack, we command to stop in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. We take authority over anything that is interfering with the sound right now. We speak to it in the name of Jesus and command it to stop in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every spiritual attack against us must stop in Jesus' name. I pray, Father, that you'd surround us with warrior angels that will evict any fallen angels trying to bring any kind of attack against us uh, personally or against our church in any way, shape, or form right now. Lord, I thank you that you have the victory in Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and is seated at the right hand of the Father and that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, far above every rule and authority and every name that can be named. We are seated with Christ. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have the victory, that you are alive, and that the gates of hell cannot prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. And we are the church of Jesus Christ, and we stand in the authority that we have in you, Lord Jesus Christ and ask that you would be glorified in us and be glorified through us in Jesus' name. Lord, as we come to you, we cry out to you for London. We cry out to you for the seven and a half million people around us who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We pray, Lord God, that you would turn on the light 
that the light would shine in the darkness and that people all throughout London would be drawn to Jesus just like moths are drawn to the light in the night. Lord, we especially bind any spirit of Islam, uh, any controlling spirits that are keeping Muslims in darkness, and we pray, Lord, that they would see the light of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you, we praise you, we worship you, we adore you for all that you're doing in and through us to the glory and honor of Jesus. Now, Father God, I pray that you'd expose every demonic strategy against City Temple, every demonic strategy against us uh, as people of City Temple, against the leaders and staff of City Temple, and let us have very clear discernment and to walk in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. We give you praise and honor and glory as we worship you and honor you and exalt you and praise you and thank you. Now, Father God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would rest upon Richard as uh, he begins to bring your word to us. Let him speak your word in power and in the authority of the Holy Spirit. We give you praise, honor, and glory. And we thank you, Lord, for being your people and all that you're doing in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Richard, I'd like to invite you on up. Uh, really excited here because today is uh, uh, a more of a formal beginning of a new pattern that we want to do here at City Temple, which is to have different people who are our members, or adherents of City Temple, uh, who have a, a call or a desire to preach, to give them opportunities on a regular basis uh, to do so. Uh, and uh, Richard is kind of the first uh, of these to uh, take hold of the uh, whatever it is you take hold of. Uh, and uh, I know there's a great classic phrase, but we want to pray, pray for him and bless him. So if you'd like to extend your hands toward him. And uh, Father God, I thank you so much for this wonderful brother in Christ. I thank you, Lord, for his beautiful family. And I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would rest on them all right now. I pray, Father, that you'd empower him to bring your word to your people today boldly and faithfully in a way that brings all the glory and honor to Jesus. And I thank you and praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Over to you, my friend. Let me uh, put on this mic here. And, uh, bear with me, this is the first time I've actually uh, done anything like this, getting some feedback. You just keep talking. Okay, this is the first time I've uh, <laughs> ever done anything like this, so you're going to have to bear with me. Um, yeah, uh, today I'll be speaking on uh, the grace of God uh, in the Christian life, but before I do, I just want to pray again, that's okay. Oh. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives us your blessed instruction from your word. I just pray, Father, that you would help me, empower me by the Holy Spirit to uh, speak your word, to edify your saints, to energize them, to empower them, Lord, to understand and to 
embrace your work of grace in their lives. Lord, I do uh, ask that you would uh, help me to speak your words uh, in power. Um, Again, for the benefit of your church, Lord, have mercy upon me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So uh, today I'm going to be looking at uh, the grace of God in uh, the three aspects of the Christian life. And by this I mean how God has worked for us in the past and how he is working for us in the present and also how he will work for us in the future. And the main text I'll be speaking from today is Titus 2, 11 to 13. But before I go there, what I want to do is give an example from the Old Testament scriptures of what grace actually looks like. A good example for me was, uh, can be seen in King David's dealings with a descendant of Saul by the name of Mephiboseth, who was Jonathan's son. And the scripture itself, this is not the main scripture, but the scripture itself is taken from 2 Samuel 9, uh, 3 to 7. And before I read that, I just want to give a bit of, a bit of context. Now, um, this was after uh, King Saul and Jonathan, his son, had uh, died at the hands of the Philistines in battle. And David um, took the the reins as king in Israel. And he had defeated all the enemies of Israel. And he was at a high point in his reign. And to honor his friend Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, they they were like brothers. To honor him, he actually wanted to uh, extend some kindness to a descendant of his. So we read from, uh, I'll read from verse 3. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said, Ziba was uh, Saul's uh, uh, former servant. Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Mekah, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mekir, the son of Amiel, at Lodabar. And Mephiboseth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, said to, uh, came to David sorry, and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephiboseth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table. So what we see in these verses is David showing kindness to a descendant of Saul for Jonathan's sake. And this descendant was also a cripple. And as we may know that in Israel at the time to be crippled was, was seen as probably unclean. So he would be a pariah. That's, that's why I think that he mentioned the fact that he was crippled. But David chose to show kindness to him anyway. And this is like a, a picture of us. Even though we, are cripples in a, we were cripples in a spiritual sense, outside the grace of God before we came into salvation, God chose to show kindness to us even though we didn't deserve it, even though we didn't earn it or merit it. He decided to show uh, kindness. And this is why I think 
God said about David that he's a man after my own heart because he is, he behaves the way God would behave in showing kindness. He wants to show the kindness of God to him. So to me, this is a clear picture of what grace looks like. It's unmerited favor, favor that uh, you don't deserve. Unwarranted kindness. And like I said, just as, as uh, um, David showed kindness to Mephibosheth, the Lord God showed kindness to us and put us in a position of, of, uh, you know, of glory and honor, even though we didn't deserve it. And it was all for the sake of Jesus, for Jesus' sake. So with this in mind, what I would like to do is uh, read from the main text today, which is uh, Titus 2, 11 to 13. That's Titus 2, 11 to 13. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Sorry, just let me get something to drink. Sorry. So, um, this is one of the letters of Paul, and, and Paul was writing to um, a pastor who pastored the church um, at Crete, whose name was Titus. And the grace of God was an abused doctrine in Crete, as it was in um, Corinth as well. And Paul wanted to think, uh, correct their thinking on the matter of grace. There were probably some amongst them that taught grace was just a license to sin. That since God has given us grace, we can now live in sin. And we also uh, see Paul talking about this in, in Romans 6 as well. So what do we see in these verses, Titus 2, 11 to 13? In verse 11, we see the past of the believer. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. In verse 12, we see our, uh, we see our present. God is, uh, the grace of God trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And in verse 13, we see our future, waiting for our blessed hope, which is the coming of Jesus Christ. We not only see that, we also see our redemption in verse 11, our reform in verse 12, and our reward in verse uh, 13. So first I want to look at the... Um, past of the believer, our redemption in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. At the beginning of the verse, Paul uses the word for, which links to the previous 10 verses, which he talks about the character and conduct that believers should be displaying in order to make the doctrine of God look good. He names various classes of people within the church. He names older men, older women, young men, young women, Husbands, children, slaves, so on. And in verse 10, he finishes off using these words, God, our Saviour. And then proceeds to speak about how, uh, how the grace of God um, is used with respect to salvation. So essentially, what we can draw from the, the, the text is that the grace that comes from God has been revealed to all people of all classes without distinction. To every race, to both sexes, to rich, to poor, to bond, to free. And no one is beyond the, the, the uh, reach of God's grace. 
And it is this grace which brought the saints to repentance and belief unto salvation in the past when they first believed in the embodiment of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the story is exactly the same for us. It is by grace our sins are forgiven in Christ. It is by this grace we have been accepted, adopted and affirmed by God. And this can also be seen as our justification, which is a term which means that a once guilty sinner is now free from sin and and guilt and has been brought into the family of God. So that is our redemption. The fact that we've been uh, brought in and, and, and saved by grace. Now let's look at our present. The present work of grace, which is our reform. Verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. When I was looking at these verses, I asked three pertinent questions. Why, when and how does grace train us? And I came up with some answers. So why does grace train us? Well, the verse tells us, it says, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Grace trains us to say no to ungodliness. An ungodly person is someone who doesn't consider God in all of their ways, who ignores God in their everyday life. It also teaches us to say no to worldly passions. This, reveals, this, this refers to the uh, passions of the world system. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But it's not good enough just to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. We also have to be able to say yes to living self-controlled lives. That is, not yielding to various passions and being impulsive. For example, being able to control yourself um, in the midst of a hostile situation or if uh, someone, for instance, rubs you up the wrong way, being able to control your anger, that's, that's an example of not being impulsive. That's what grace helps us to do. And not only yes to being self-controlled, but yes to living upright. That is living a life of integrity and uprightness. An example of this is uh, being a man or a woman of your word, or not compromising in the face of difficulty or hardship. And also saying yes to living godly lives. So that's the opposite of ungodliness. And that is someone who lives in holiness and devotion to God and considers God in all their ways, all the things that they actually do. It's a Godward life, a God-facing life. So the purpose of grace is to make us ultimately more like the Lord Jesus Christ until the point in the future when we're exactly like him. God not only wants us to have um, a positional righteousness, that means that God not only is concerned with giving us a righteousness the moment we believe, he's also concerned with making us experientially righteous. By that I mean changing the way we behave. He wants us to think, act, behave like Jesus. And he wants to work out sin in our lives, the bad habits, the wrong attitudes, etc. So God wants to progressively train us to walk by the law of love. And this was a plan of old. This is not a new thing. We see the same promise 
given to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In Jeremiah 31, 33, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So his law in our hearts through grace. This is the glory of the new covenant. This teaching is also in line with with the, the New Testament as well. It says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Galatians 5.14. And Romans 13.8 says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves has fulfilled the law. So we looked at why grace trains us. Now I want to look at when grace trains us. The grace of God trains us day by day, moment by moment. It works to instruct and to reshape our thinking and living. This begins from the moment you believe, right until the end of your life or when Jesus comes back, whichever comes first. It is a lifelong work, a lifelong process of working out uh, things in your life that, that, that are not godly, bad habits, wrong attitudes, and so on and so forth. This process is also known as sanctification, which is just a, a fancy word for God progressively working on you to become more like Jesus. So that's when grace trains us. Now I want to look at how grace trains us. The word training, or in other translations it uses the word teaching, in Greek is a word for child training or disciplining. So essentially, what is being said is that we are be, uh, the grace of God actually disciplines us to live right. So, uh, so the fact that the grace actually disciplines us implies that we will not always get things right. We will not always get things right. That's why grace is, is, is so important because it, it actually uh, helps us and corrects us in terms of uh, the way, way, way we live and what we think. So even the fact that even in spite of our sin, God will still bear with us. God will still help us to become more like Jesus because grace is greater than our sin. In fact, I believe God uses our sin and our failures in the sanctifying work of reformation because it is in those times when God has revealed a sin in our lives and we repent that we really see his love and his grace and that should motivate us to cling to him and to, and to uh, you know, accept his ways and to live in his ways. This process of training, by the way, is not something that's passive. It involves you actively making use of the tools God has given you in obedience. We are to respond to the commission of the Holy Spirit. We are to apply the teaching of the scriptures in our lives. We are to pray without ceasing. To forgive 70 times 7. To go the extra mile. To actually actively try and walk as Jesus did. So what we need to remember is that the grace of God is not there um, so that we can sin. It's there to make us holy. The grace of God should oblige us to live right. So that is uh, why, when, and how grace trains us. Now I want to look at the uh, future work of grace, which is our reward. So we looked at our redemption, 
our, uh, we looked at our redemption, our reform, and now we want to look at our reward. In verse 13, it says, Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, this is the epitome or the height of the kindness and grace of God. God's reforming process is to this end. He is readying us for our reward. So it is important that we endure this work of reformation patiently with a reward in mind. So no matter what we go through, no matter what difficulties we face, we should keep this in mind. Our blessed hope, which is seeing Jesus. So imagine seeing the one who died for you face to face. Seeing the one who rose again for you. Seeing the one who helped you through all the difficulties in your life. Seeing the one who has given you every good thing, physical and spiritual. He's given us every good thing. Every spiritual blessing and every physical blessing that we have is because of Christ. But we will not only see him. It tells us that we will be like him. We will have a new body just like his. For those who are alive, they will be changed. And for those who are dead, they will rise, uh, rise from the dead unto immortality. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, 50, 15, 52, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. And we shall have glory and honor and pleasure in his presence for all eternity. No more disease, no more sickness. A new heaven, new earth. This is our hope, this is our reward. So our past, our present, our future, our redemption, our reform, and our glorious reward, the grace of God from beginning to end. So we are to embrace this grace, to embrace what God is doing in our lives with this in our minds, that one day we shall see Jesus and not only see him, we shall be like him. Amen. Amen. Let's finish in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your glorious grace and your mercy towards each and every one of us. Help us to remember that this work of reform and discipline may be hard for a season at times, but help us to remember what our reward is, the reward of your grace, which is us seeing Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your past work of redemption, that you brought us into your family, just as David brought Mephibosheth into his family and seated him at his table. You have done the same for us in Christ. Lord, so I pray that, pray that we would be able to apply these things into our lives and believe you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.